So it's interesting because when you say creativity to people, a lot of times people will think about like, well, I don't have a creative habit. I don't paint every day. I don't write every day. Um, whatever that, whatever the definition of creativity is, right? So, so when I think about creativity and how it's become a habit for me, is the is it, one step prior to becoming creative is this idea of following curiosity. Like, what am I interested in? What am I curious about? And I find that. I've developed this habit over my lifetime of following curiosity. All right, everybody. If you're hearing this, you have once again to in the consequence of have a podcast. This is your host, JT. And this week I'm joined by Vaughn Lindemone. Vaughn is the founder of Work Smart Advantage. And her and her family have just a, I mean, they have an incredible story. Vaughn's father was a pilot in the South Vietnamese Air Force. And when it was clear things were going to be well, not going their way, they made a choice. They packed everyone up in the family and they fled the country. And now there's some irony in talking about this at this time because it's very reminiscent of what we're seeing in Ukraine right now. But Vaughn's family ends up in California, doesn't speak the language, doesn't understand the country. But, you know, we talk about on this on this podcast a lot, this this stoic thought of or, or philosophy that the obstacle is the way. And I don't want to ruin the story. I want to let Vaughn tell it, but I, here's, a, here's a little teaser. Vaughn's mother becomes a trailblazer in the billions of dollar industry around nail salons. Like I said in the beginning, Vaughn is the founder of Work Smart Advantage. And we're, when we talk about habits in this, this episode, uh, we're going to talk about the habit of creativity. And you may be saying to yourself, hey, that's not a, that's not a habit. Um, and I'm going to say you're wrong. So Vaughn is going to describe how creativity impacts the workplace, the, the positive things that come from it. We're going to cut away for a second here for a little housekeeping. As you all know, I'm a huge fan of beer. Without my, my love of beer and, and especially the leaded kind, I'm not even quite sure if this whole consequence of habit thing, whatever it came to be. But at some point, uh, me and alcohol decided we had to part ways. And luckily, there's a company there called Athletic Brewing Company. Athletic Brewing makes the finest non-alcoholic beer, uh, in my opinion, on the market. They've been a part of my journey from for a long time now. So if you guys like beer, you like, and I'm not talking crap beer. If you like crap beer, just go ahead and you can just fast forward this. But if you like good beer, then do yourself a favor. Log on to athleticbrewing.com. Use the promo code capital C-O-H-20 and get 20% off your first order. Without further ado, please welcome to the podcast, Von Leidemont. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for joining us here at the Consequence of Habit podcast. This is your host, JT, and today I am joined by Von Lydemon. Uh Yes, she's clapping. You guys can't see she's clapping. Uh, this, this right. is, and, and to be honest with you, uh, I'm known for messing names up, even the, the simplest. So I, I'm, I really try to make sure we got this right because it's very embarrassing to get these things wrong. <laughs> Thank you. And sometimes like, I won't even say until the very end, like, and then you've gone through a whole episode saying any wrong. And then I'll mention at the end. Oh, <laughs> so good thing you did it right the first time. Very nice. Yeah. That, yeah. Right. Cause then I'll be cringing listening to it after the entire thing, knowing I said it wrong. So, uh, well, actually I'm already, I'm already a little embarrassed about, uh, you know, we're sitting here now this worked out and I'm super happy about it, yes. uh, but this is our, our second try at this. So, uh, yeah. And you know what, honestly, like I usually take three, four, five things, tries to get something right. So I think okay. this is good. You're, be, you're being very <laughs> nice. Um, the, so what, we're obviously we're going to get into your story, but, but before we start, you know, I thought it was funny because I, I tried, I tried calling, no, yeah, I tried calling you and, right. and, gotten, I and I had gotten the number wrong by, by one number. Um, you got the area code wrong, as I recall. Yes. Yes. I got somebody in. Virginia, I believe, or West Virginia, but it was, I like, I made a new friend. It was the nicest person. That's amazing. Yeah. That's so great. I love hearing that. Yeah, right. Uh, well, let's, You're welcome. Yeah, really. <laughs> Thank you. I, I somehow I, I stood you up on and, and made a new friend. So, um, but listen, let's, let's get into First of all, where are you right now? I am in Los Angeles. I live in Mar Vista, which is near Marine Del Rey, Venice area. Very nice. Um, you know, when we talk about habits, you know, this whole thing is based on the, the, you know, what is it we do every single day on a daily basis? And is it something mm -hmm. that adds value to your life? And in researching you, one of the, the main things I keep coming across is this, this idea of creativity. 
And you said before we started, like you have some thoughts about the the, the idea of creativity as a habit. Uh, so if, right. if you're good with that, let's 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 start with that. Yeah, that, that'd be great. So it's interesting because when you say creativity to people, a lot of times people will think about like, well, I don't have a creative habit. I don't paint every day. I don't write every day. Um, whatever that, whatever the definition of creativity is, right? So, so when I think about creativity and how it's become a habit for me is the, is it one step prior to becoming creative is this idea of following curiosity. Mm. Like, what am I interested in? What am I curious about? And I find that I've developed this habit over my lifetime of following curiosity. And that habit has led me into all these creative things to do, right? Whether it's doing something different one day or painting or picking up a new hobby, the like, creativity can be defined so many different ways. But I really feel that when you ask me that, when we talked about it before we started recording, it's like, oh, when you talk about the, the habit of creativity, for me, it really starts with this habit of just paying attention to my curiosity and taking small steps to follow it. Mm. And, and I think the reason I brought it up as a habit is, uh, in a, I don't want to say prior life, but a couple of years ago I was doing stand-up comedy and you know, people that are, I'm not going to, I'm not going to put myself in the category, but like people that are, are funny, naturally funny. You think that's just something or, or you see somebody on stage and you go, oh, God, they, man, it's just, it just comes to them. And right. what I found is, is when I started doing it, um, you know, jokes would kind of come to you you'd be in a situation, you'd go, oh, that's funny. But the people that really did well, I found it became a habit of taking a certain amount of time. So whether it was 15 minutes, 30 minutes a day and mm -hmm. writing jokes. And that was a, that was a way to get the creative kind of juices flowing, um, instead of waiting for it to be this, uh, spontaneous thought that came to your, to, to your mind. I don't know if that's making sense or not, but yeah. Um, and I found that like taking the time, like really, like literally like carving out the time to, mm -hmm. um, to make it a habit, mm -hmm. to be creative. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and it's amazing what comes from that compared to just, you know, if it's, if, if it's a spur of the moment that pops in your brain, that that's great. Uh, but there's some amazing things that come by, by making, this was joke writing an actual habit and taking the time to do it. So I don't know if that resonates with you at all. It absolutely resonates with me um, in the sense that, you know, I talked about like this idea that it really stems first from curiosity. Mm -hmm. Like, what am I curious about? I will tell you during the pandemic, something I became curious about or re-curious about was doing these collages. And I started making it a habit of doing a, I mean, I stopped now because I thought like maybe the pandemic would be two months, but <laughs> it's, it's I wonder what, how many I would have if I continued, but I just made these one collage a day uh -huh. for, I think I did it for a good 60 days. Wow. And it was just interesting. It was almost my way of journaling through the, through the pandemic in a way that I was curious about, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm not much of a writer, um, but I like to be artistic and creative and do things kinesthetically and hands-on. So what I found was, huh, I'm curious what collaging through this time would be like. And I just started doing one a day. And you're right, like the things that came out of that, the reflections, and now even looking back at some of them and, and recognizing what I was feeling, what I was thinking on that day, uh, is really powerful. And if I hadn't taken the time to make those and create a habit of doing those, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of reflection that that I did through those that I would never have thought of. Right, because it just kept moving through my day, and I feel like we all have this level, low level to high level of anxiety through this time. Mm -hmm. And I do believe, like, if I hadn't done that, there have been some emotions, some feelings that would never have surfaced for me, yeah. and I'd still be sitting on those. Have you always just been a creative person? Is is that something that's just kind of naturally come out of you? I have been. I've, so I always tell people, like, I've never considered myself an artist, even though I do artistic things. But when I look into, like, way back into my childhood, I've always been creative. I've always taken things that um, that shouldn't go together and put them together. You know, I, I've told stories about how my mom would buy me a new pair of shoes. I'd splash paint on them. Back when, like, splash paint was a thing. <laughs> right, right. right? Back, in, back in the 80s, I'd do splash paint on them or, you know, resew my shirts. And things like that. So I've always in my life, like just seen things and seen what else could that be. And mm. now you grew up on the West Coast. You grew up in California, correct? I did. Yes. So very close to where I am now. 
where was it? Cause I, cause I heard some of your, your Ted talks and, and obviously we're yeah. going to get into your time you spent in Sacramento, but, um, <clears throat> were you, did you grow up most of your life in the kind of that LA area? I did. So we, I mean, we, we can get into it now. Like our first home was at Kent Pendleton, sure. um, Marine base. When you know, we were Vietnamese refugees, we came here on, at the fall of Saigon, April 29th, 1975. We fled the country uh, with the help of the U S Marines. And we landed at Camp Pendleton where they took care of us for three, four months, maybe. And i I was only two, so I don't remember the time, but the stories I hear from my family and, um, from some, some, some family friends who are a little bit older kids at that time, but have memory of that time. It was, it's interesting because when you think about, you know, you just led your country, you've lost everything, including your country, you've left family members, you've left family members behind, you don't know what's happened to them, they don't know what's happened to you. But the overall sense and um, message I get when I talk to my parents and kids from that time who who have memory is that they felt really loved and they felt very much at peace, wow. which you, you think the dichotomy between that. So it, t- it speaks a, t- a lot about how well taken care of we were by the Marines. Yeah, you know, I was listening, I was driving home from work today and I was listening to your TED talk and, and you were describing that story and I, and I couldn't help but, but reflect a little bit in, in to what's going on in the world now, right? That, that people are forced to leave their homes and, mm-hmm. and, and recently I was, I was in Philadelphia near the air, well, in the airport and this is where all the Afghan refugees were coming in. This was six months ago. Yeah. And I, they had, they had a bag with them. They had one bag right, for a family. So yeah. it was just like a garbage bag. And you were mm-hmm. explaining the story of the amount of people, uh, you know, and I'm going to let you tell this cause I, I don't, I, I don't want to do it uh, a disservice. Uh, but if you could explain the story from the, the time your dad kind of came home, uh, you could, they, they knew that, that, you know, defeat was imminent and what happened, yeah. what happened from that point on? Yeah. So for them, we, we live in the, my dad was a South, um, South Vietnamese colonel in the air force. And we lived on Tonson Air Force Base. And the I, this, the story is that you know the, the evacuation happened so quickly. No one thought that they were going to have to evacuate. No one had like this long-term plan of here's when we're going to evacuate. It was my dad went into work that day and he was told, you know, you know the, the North Vietnamese, the communists are at the gate, basically marching in today or tomorrow. You need to get your family out of here as soon as you can. So he went home. And just as everyone was planning, he was going to pick us all up and go to um, the embassy. And for those of us who have studied or seen um, images of the Vietnam, like the evacuation at the embassy, it was impossible. Yeah. Like people were throwing their babies over the gates to try it's to get them out. Chaos. Yeah. yeah, it was chaos. It was complete chaos. And so my mom, my dad came home and told my mom, we need to leave now. And my aunt, who was 14 at the time, happened to be spending the night. My dad's um, father lived with us and I have a brother and a sister and it was my mom. And there was no time to go tell my grandparents we were leaving. There was no time to tell anyone anything. So we got into my, and I did this probably more than it was in the TEDx document, but we got into my dad's brand new Jeep to go to the embassy and it broke down. No. It broke down. Yes. And, and at that time, probably my dad did not think it was a blessing. But it was because, as we just said, the embassy was a complete mess and there's no way we could have gotten out that way. Mm. So there were two airplanes left on the um, on the Air Force base and two of his soldiers had just happened to drive by, picked us up. And we I forgot who like one of the soldiers was carrying me. But my dad, my the rest of my family got on one airplane and the soldier put me on the wrong one. And but and again, fortunately, my dad was able to get over there and grab me before before the planes took off. So we were, we were kept together. That's unreal. Can you, I mean, it, it, it is unreal. Like I can be, and then for the longest time, it was like, I always told this like as my parents' story, cause I have no memory of it, but yeah. it's just in the recent last, recently in the last few years, I'm like, wait, I need to really embrace that. That was my story too. Especially when I saw images from Afghanistan, those children clinging onto their parents oh, and realize like that's going to live in their bodies. Like they need to address that. They need to know that that is their story too. And really, um, r- really tell it as their story and, and own that so that they can work through it. Cause they're going to need to. Yeah. I, th- I think you, you see a kid and, and that was one thing that really stuck out to me is that, you know, the parents, they were wearing this stress and trauma on their face. You could see it, you know, it was, right. and rightfully so. Uh, and then, but the children, 
they still had that that you know that innocence that that goes along with being a child and and just going along with the, going with the flow you know finding a way to make a game do something um but you're right i i think that's still the, to, to be able to process that and uh you know that that's going to take a lot of time and uh, again, going back to the, to the current situation, what we see, and I see these people just fleeing their home, and then I was listening to your story, and it's just hard to put that, you know, try to wrap that up as 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 a parent to know that if something like that happens, you drop everything, and then you're gone. Oh, yeah. And everything you own. Everything you own. Well, everything. Um, so That's right. Like, you were talking about the bag. Like, yeah, we had, I think my mom had packed one suitcase, um, but by the time we got on that first airplane, and then we were on the island right off of, uh, of Saigon, Vietnam, where we had to condense more, right? So it's only like, you can't bring the suitcase. You can bring like, like what, you can, what you can carry. And and then by the time we got here, I don't know really what they had. And we, I know we had a couple, um, maybe like a, maybe a briefcase, wow. right? a couple of photo albums, not even albums, just a couple of photos. And and my dad did carry a bunch of Vietnamese money with him, but that's that we, we just use that to play with yeah, sure. when we were younger. Hey, I want to take a second to discuss one of my favorite podcasts out there right now and that is wake dad drink and repeat i I know i know i said drink no one said it had to be booze could be a nice athletic brewing or i don't know whatever you're drinking but i'm scrolling through and i see they got they got a guest on there nick learman i said son of a bitch i know this guy nick is the founder of team foster another veteran 501c3 nonprofit i'm a huge fan of so if you guys want to check out an amazing podcast hosted by well, a friend of mine, Anthony Palmer, and interviewing another good friend of mine, Nick Learman, make sure you guys check out Wake Dad Drink Repeat on all the major platforms. Hey, I want to give a little shout out to another organization, and that's called the Patriot Fund. Patriot Fund is a, another 501c3 nonprofit uh, that, that are helped, they're helping support us, specifically our veteran programs. This organization supports... Uh, active duty, reservist, and veteran organizations doing amazing things within those communities. If you guys want to see what some of the work that they're doing, you want to you want to check out, maybe support them, check out thepatriotfund.org. All right, so I, I really want to tie this into yeah. uh, the now, right? So mm-hmm. I'm I'm curious on, you know, I, we'll get into let's get into your mom's story because I, I think I would imagine that that just like everyone else, the habits you've picked up the habits you've kind of cultivated, they come from watching your parents. They kind of give you a blueprint to live your life. Right. Sometimes that's good. Sometimes not so much. Uh, what did your life like? Uh, understandably, you were very young, uh, but your parents' life looked like they get stateside and mm-hmm. you know, you talk about what seems like could be a terrible thing. You never know how it plays out. Could end up being something that is, is a positive. So if you could kind of tell right. that story, please. Sure. So after um, after we were at Camp Pendleton for about three or four months, we were transferred to the first non-military refugee integration center in the United States. It's called Hope Village up in, near Sacramento. And it was there now that, you know, like um, the civilian volunteers came to help out, like hundreds of volunteers came to help us out. And this is more of a integration center where, where they were going to house us. Um, there were there were classes like there were classes for the men and women to learn different skills so they could go out and be productive members of any whatever community they ended up in. So there was a one volunteer named Tippi Hedren. She's a Hollywood movie star, uh, most famously known for her starring role in Alfred Hitchcock's movie The Birds. And I'll tell this one the story that that has to do with my mom and 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 Tippi. But this woman is remarkable. Like she did so many things during that time for the people, the refugees of, you know, she, I think there's a story about her chartering a, a, um, a ship and going out to the, like, and not just like chartering and like sending people out. Like she went on that ship and pulled people out of the sea, wow. like pe- pulled refugees out of the ocean. Unfortunately, because of the laws, I don't know what it was like. They couldn't take them with them, but they brought them on board, fed them, clothed them and put them back and then made sure they were, they were brought to safety. But this is, I mean, again, this is like, if you think of like the biggest Hollywood movie star now, that's like the, now whoever that is doing that now with the, with what's going on. That's unbelievable. Uh, yeah, yeah. So the story with my mom was that so Tippy was up um, a volunteer at the camp, and she just took this liking to the women, right? She 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 the way she puts, she just fell in love with them, like the the way they were, the fact that they had, and really felt bad that they had lost literally everything. 
And she started a program that made typing and sewing classes available. Um, and they were happy to do that. But there was something else that caught their curiosity, which was those, those long red Hollywood manicure nails sure, that Tippy sure. had. And when you think about that, you know, they kept telling her like how much they liked it. And they were so curious about it. And if you think about that, like Tippy literally could have been like, thank you very much. Keep typing, keep sewing. Right. But she followed, she like, she paid attention to that curiosity and she started asking questions like, well, what if, you know, what if we can actually get these women trained and licensed manicures? Typing and sewing were, were careers that were easy to get into, um, low barrier of entry. So it seemed very obvious that those were two that she would bring to the table. But becoming a manicure, you had to learn how, to, you had to speak English, you had to take a test, you had to go through a practice, like pass your practicum and licensing. So there were some challenges around around that, but um, rather than paying attention to those challenges, what Tippy did was she's like, well, let's just let's just take some small steps here. So the first thing she did was invite her manicures from LA to come up and teach these women how to do a basic manicure. So you know, Dusty Cuspatera came up weekend after weekend, taught them to do a basic manicure, and they just liked it. They really enjoyed it. So the next thing Tippy did was she went down to the local beauty school. And like literally just marched in there and said, I know this isn't how this works, but I have 20 women who have no money, who don't speak English, but we need to get them licensed as manicures. Are you up for it? And they said, yes. So after, um, I think it was 10 weeks, about 400 hours of learning, not only how to do the manicures in a professional way, but learning how to speak English and write and write in English too. All 20 women passed their manicure practicum and written tests and became the first 20 licensed manicures in the United States. It's amazing what we're capable of, excuse me, when we're put in certain positions. Because it's not it's, it's not like they just they grew up here. I mean, if you just took that in itself, and that would be a feat, right? Like in this amount of time, you know nothing about uh, an industry. Yeah. Uh, you know, you don't know the language. Uh, you learn a new skill, you get certified, but but at the same time, you're still you're still trying to deal with the fact that the place that you called home is on the other side of the world, and we're starting mm-hmm. completely over. So, I'm always I, I'm always shocked on what people are capable of uh, when when they're put in those kind of positions. You know, I, I mean, I, 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 there's I, there's a lot of people I don't think they would even think they'd be capable of it if put in the same kind of scenarios. But oh yeah, you know, but you never know until you you are in that situation, right? That's it. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think the, the beauty, there's so many beautiful things about that story it was like one woman empowering other women. Sure. Um, you know, her mission, Tiffy's really, her goal was to just give these women a way to make a career for themselves and provide for their families. What ultimately she has done now that it's been 40 plus years is she created a way for hundreds and thousands of Vietnamese families to provide for the, for, for their for their families, for their futures. Um, the Vietnamese nail industry is now an $8.3 billion industry. Like, like who could have seen that coming? And, and it all stems from curiosity. Curiosity, one small act of kindness. Amazing. Yeah. Now, obviously, at what point in your life did you, could you actually kind of like digest that and say these, you know, my family was truly on the forefront what be, what became an what 8.3 billion dollar industry uh, mm-hmm. was it when you were in it every single day was it even something that you kind of really thought about or is it did it take that kind of maturity bill step back and go holy oh. crap yes i definitely it wasn't you know i, I was an american kid nice. being raised by a Vietnamese family, or, you know, Vietnamese parents. Our culture was completely different. My the rules that I had to live by in my house were so different than my friends. So there was a lot of resentment. Um, you don't understand sure. me. Yeah, 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 you know yeah, all that yeah. all that stuff going on in my household. Um, and I went to like then I left for college, and I don't think it was well into adulthood where I I remember like my my parents. My mom would tell the story all the time, right? And I remember there were times where I would just sit there and roll my eyes, and yeah. I'm, I'm so embarrassed about that. Like, how can I roll my eyes at such an important story and, and at the sacrifices she made for us, yeah. right? Um, but as a teenager, as a young adult, you don't really see that. No. So it was well into adulthood when I really started to, to look at this story as bigger than um, bigger than our family story, mm. right? And and then it was even telling my, like actually doing the TEDx talk that I realized and hearing from people, um, not just about my mom's story, about but about the Marines and how they impacted us. And 
and having veterans reach out to me and saying that story really made a difference or mm. that story could have made a difference to my friend who, um, you know, who, you know, who committed suicide. Right. Right. It's like, yeah, it's like, and so, it, I mean, if, if there's, if that's not going to impact me, then what is right? right. So that like stories like that um, really made me realize like how important it is for not just me, but for all of us to be sharing our stories. Cause you have no idea who it can impact in a positive way. Oh, 100%. I mean, I've been, I've been blown away even through this process of, of, you know, not necessarily mine, of, of just somebody else coming on, uh, sharing their story, uh, just like you are now. And, and then you, you get off, you, you get done hit record, you edit the, you put it up and, and you don't think much about it. And then on, I've been fortunate enough just to be, be a go between where somebody reaches out and says, hey, can you put me in touch with this person? You have yeah. no idea how, what they said, how much it meant to me and how much it moved me. And like, I always feel just so fortunate to even be the middle person to see this kind of interaction. And, uh, and you're right, you throw, you know, we live in a, we live in a world now where you can just throw stuff out there and yes, uh, yeah. sometimes some amazing, amazing things come back. So absolutely going back to the habits, is there a particular habit that you, that you picked up from your parents, um, you know, going through this process, watching this, that, that, that really, uh, that you've instilled into your own uh, habits? Well, interestingly enough, like I'll tell you two and curiosity is in fact, one of them, right. To kind of, I mean, and it's almost innate in me now because I mean, my mom was, you know, one of the pioneers of the Vietnamese nail industry, of the Vietnamese industry, of the, of the nail industry in general. I remember things like, um, you know, now you want a nail file, you order it on Amazon, right? We'd have to hike around to these hardware stores, buy a piece of wood and buy sandpaper and glue it, glue it together with her. Oh my goodness. So it was like, it was like things like that that I saw every day, right? I saw them following their curiosity every day out of necessity. And so I feel like that's probably, I mean, I think this idea of making curiosity a habit goes mm. a lot further back for me sure. than just like, Oh, I just follow my curiosity on a, on a day-to-day basis. It's just like, a, it is a habit for me. Yeah. Um, and it's not a conscientious habit. It's just something I naturally do from seeing the way they, they were. Um, the other thing is, and this is, this could be a negative, you know, like when you talk about your strings, how they could be balconies, yes. like if you use them yes, right, they yes, can be balconies yes, yes. or if you overuse them, they can be what they call a basement, sure. right? They cannot serve you. Um, the habit of working diligently and hard, right? And and I I'm, I I will never call that a bad habit because I think it's served me very well. I think work, hard hard works can serve everyone well, but um, I will say that I have overused hard work. Yeah, you know I have overused hard work many times in my life. And I've now developed a, you know, a habit of not doing that so much, right? Or, or like really taking time to, um, taking time away from hard work. And, you know, I was talking to my business coach about a year and a half ago, and she's like, you work so hard. What you need to do is make space um, and t- make space to receive. Yeah. And I didn't even know what she meant by that. Right? Like, she, like, and I'm like, I need, to, I need to, I'm like, what does that even mean? Like, you want me to stop doing stuff? <laughs> right. Right. Um, but yeah, so now I balance this whole idea of like, I still work really hard. But I also make a habit of leaving room to receive. Do you, does that feel hard to do it? Especially at first? Is that to be able uh, to It still feels hard. Yeah. Is it, it's uncomfortable? Yeah, it still uncom- feels hard. Uncomfortable? Oh, absolutely. Especially yeah. if you are someone who's like, who's, who's driven and used to making things happen to actually sit back and wait for things to happen is really difficult until I would say it's gotten easier in the sense that when I made that room and things did come into my life that would not have, if I was pushing, I'm like, Oh, this whole like sitting and waiting and receiving this thing actually works. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the things we talk about on here is, and this is getting into habits and you're right. What, what is a good habit certainly can be turned into, um, I, you know, I don't want to say bad habit, one that, but one that isn't serving you, right? And then when we talk about straight bad habits, uh, you know, these things that that release dopamine in our mind that that can become addictive, one hundred percent work can fall into that that category. Uh, Absolutely. I mean, it's it's 
it's not recognized as much because the consequences a lot of times are a successful business. Right? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, no one's getting locked up or, you know, doing okay. it's no one's going on a work bender. Um, even though they may be, it's just the, 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 the consequences are the consequences are. are yeah, yeah it's, exactly. It's more, it's a higher paycheck. So, uh, but the root of it sometimes comes from the same place. And that is not wanting, you know, it's very hard to be still that stillness in your mind to be able to mm-hmm. relax and, and like you said, receive, uh, be, you know, put love and attention in the people around you. Um, and it, you know, that's where we, we talk about our, our friend, Chris Norris. And I think that's one of the, the great things he kind of brings is, is a, a reminder on how to do that. Uh, it has meditation or mindfulness become a, a, a part of your, uh, your repertoire. Um, I will say that Chris has become part of my repertoire. You know, he posts every day on LinkedIn, like a two minute, three minute clip. And, and that's for me because of, because of like, as I said, driven moving all the time, like the idea of sitting down and trying to sit in silence for 10, 15, 20, 30 minutes a day. I'm not there yet. (laughs) Right. Right. right? But I certainly can listen to Chris do a two minute video (laughs) um, and reflect on, on, on that. So so I would say my, and it's interesting because mindfulness, I guess, can be different for everyone. So I do, um, I do have, I've, I've over the past year have started this morning routine of just, um, you know, getting, like, this is my space right here in my, in my office of just kind of like coming in here, exercising, and then just after exercising, laying down for yeah. a couple of minutes. I've sure. tried a couple of different types of different breath exercises um, and breathing exercises and nothing has, has stuck yet. Right. And I say that yet because I really would like to find that practice. I just have not yet found a practice that I'm, that I've stuck to. Well, it sounds even like the collage, you know, your outlet might be just being creative and, and that's, that in itself can be very, you know, can be, you can be mindful while doing that. It's maybe taking your attention from everything else, the work things and, and, and just really putting your, your attention into one thing. I, I had a conversation with a a gentleman who was, who was part of a nonprofit and they were doing fly fishing for veterans and first responders. Mm-hmm. And they said it was unbelievable. They got, they got men and women to, to try something, go fly fishing for an hour and not talk work at all during that, which is almost unheard of for these, for the, yeah. these people. It's become such part of their identity. So to, to be able to step away from that for any period of time, there's, there's a tremendous amount of like positive impact from that. Um, what are your other outlets other than, than the collages? You, you said exercise is one, but what, do you have any mm-hmm. other kind of habits that, that fall into that? So I would say, I would say like any, my habits tend, tend to be physical and kinesthetic. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So the collaging, I also started doing these a minute, like again, talk to my business coach, this idea of creativity, like making, making creativity a habit. Yep. And, and I was, you know, my creativity over the last six years really has been around my work. Like I bring creativity into the business world and my creativity has been, has been in creating and developing these programs for, for corporations, for, for, for teams to learn team development, leadership training, but all through a creative lens. So every time I, I write a proposal, it's a little different than the last proposal, mm. right? So, so I've been, so I started thinking about that as, as my creativity but realizing that um, that was a cop out, right? <laughs> that still worked. <laughs> that still worked. Right. So, so I used to paint. Yeah, so I used to paint a lot, and and right, kind of getting past this idea, like, well, I can't. I don't have time to paint anymore. Like, I don't have. I don't have time for these grandiose paintings. Sure. So what I came up with was these little miniature paintings. They're three inch by three inch, and and that's been a habit of mine now to sit down. I have a little paintings area where I just sit down. You know, 15 minutes a day, um, every other day, whatever it might be, and just put a paintbrush to to a small little canvas. And it really speaks to this idea of of, of taking small steps as a habit rather than take trying to take these grand leaps. Yeah. There's a great book called One Small Step Can Change Your Life, the Kaizen Way, um, by my mentor, Dr. Robert Maurer. And I love that book because it really speaks to the neuroscience behind the power of taking small steps and, and how you can build your confidence by saying, I'm going to paint this three inch picture over the course of three days. 
And, and if I finish it in two days, I feel like subconsciously and conscientiously, I'm a success, right? right. It builds my confidence to do more. But if I say, here's this six foot by six foot canvas here that's just staring at me for the last three years, <laughs> I'm not feeling so successful. Right, right. And, and that's the same kind of message as James Clear in, in Atomic Habits, right? That he says, if you want to run a 10K for the first week, I, I just want you to get up and put your shoes on and maybe step yeah. outside and then come back in. You know, and this is, this is obviously not for, for people that have been running in their past, but it's, right. it's that idea of, of, um, was the, it uh, was the other quote that, that we've, we've spoke about on here and, and that's, uh, big doors, no small hinges swing big doors, right? Like just doing ah, a little mm-hmm. bit, but over time, you know, it's, it's, it's unbelievable what you'll be able, you'll be able to accomplish. Right. Now, now Fun, you you took what is your passion, which is creativity, something you said that you've always kind of has been part of you as a child, right? And you've turned this into uh, into your job, into a business. Uh, and I want to make sure I'm saying this: is, is it is it is it works art or work smart? It's works art, correct? Work smart. Work smart. Work smart. Okay. Work yeah. smart advantage. Explain what that is, and I'm well. I'm going to let you explain it, and then I've got a follow up question on that. Got it. Okay. So works for advantage is, is my business. I started about six years ago. Um, I'll go to the beginning where it was initially called craftivity events. Mm-hmm. And it was this idea of bringing literally just like bringing arts and crafts into the work environment for personal and professional development. And no one bought it. <laughs> no, one, no one's going to let me bring my art supplies into your office and spend an hour and a half with your employees doing arts and crafts. So um, over time, I, I changed it up to, to work smart advantage, which is now connecting creativity and these creative activities with, um, with leadership and team development training. Mm. So, you know, a leadership training topic might be conflict management and resolution, but we're going to bring in these creative modalities with it. And, um, and again, like my, my creative modality is hands-on arts and crafts, but over the course of the last six years, I've also gained many different modalities. I became a Lego Serious Play certified facilitator. Um, that's a thing. You could become one too. <laughs> so I brought Legos into my work. I I took training in creative problem solving. So there's a bunch a, a bunch of amazing creative problem solving tools I now bring into my work. And then meeting people, right? Meeting these creative facilitators, like spoken word artists, um, um, improv artists. There's so many people who do similar work that I do with a different creative modality. So I do a lot of collaboration with them too. So the whole concept of my, my, my business is that we're all creative, right? Everyone has creative capacity. So when we, when we're training, when you bring in the tool of creativity, you're tapping into a capacity that every single person in the room has and that's innate in them. And what that does, it allows everyone to share their voice in a way that makes sense for them. It levels that playing field. And um, and it also really adds to just the engagement and the retention of the material. So it's been great. I've been, I've been having a really good time with it. Yeah, I'm sure. You know, you, you mentioned uh, in one of your other talks how it builds connection and that, that you actually have to be able to be creative and to put something out there, you have to be vulnerable. And that's a scary thing, right? Especially for somebody who may not deem themselves as creative. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you seen that build the connections within businesses where maybe, you know, I would imagine that, that that's got to, it's, it's not something you would normally have to do in the work environment. Yes. Yeah, so I, there are many times I've walked in where I, where I've been in environments where, where I've set up my supplies. I'll see people walking in the room and you see the people who are so excited. And then you see people with the fear in their eyes. Like, sure. what is this? Sure. <laughs> and but, the, but and I'm never, that used to scare me, but it, it doesn't scare me anymore because even the biggest skeptics, once you start getting them to tap into their creativity, because it's innate in all of us and becomes, because creativity comes so naturally to us, even though some of us have kept it stuffed down, it's so easy to bring back up in people. Um, and the connectivity part of it is, is very relevant. I feel like um, there's so many examples of when you, give someone the opportunity to express themselves creatively and share through whatever they've built, whatever they sketch. There's something about having your ideas once removed from yourself like that, that you have something to do, like whether it's a Lego build or a sketch you've done. And now you're 
when you're talking, you're talking about that sketch, that Lego build is once removed from you and it's easier for people to share that way. Yeah. Yeah. I would imagine over time it's seeing those people that, that almost cringe when they're walking and see that it must be the, those must be the, the, the people that are most exciting to see them open up. So it's almost like you see, you, now you see an opportunity walking in the door. Um, mm-hmm. and so that must be very rewarding to, to see people, you know, at, once you kind of open that door and they feel free to actually start, you know, letting that kind of creative side of themselves out. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Cause I think creativity is, um, I, I keep saying it's like such a natural part of our, of us. And in the business world, in the corporate world, there's not a lot of room to for self-expression, for creativity, that when you do give people the space and some simple tools to express themselves, it's it's liberating in a way, right? It's liberating. It's like they feel seen, they feel heard. Um, and I've had many people reach back out to me like, oh, that sparked my own creative adventure somewhere else. Like I now do this for creative. I yeah. picked up my guitar again. Oh, I've, yeah. you know, I started an art class, whatever it might be. Is there one reaction from like a, a CEO or boss when you come in and, and you go, uh, yeah, it's, it's called, it's called work smart, but we're going to, we're going to have, we're going to be painting. There's going to be Legos. Um, is there anything, one like reaction where that kind of stands out as, as this person's like, there's, that's not happening here. Um, Yes. <laughs> and, and that's okay. Like, and I will, I will say that when, when I first started this business, I was you know, grasping at straws, like someone hire me, like, you know, like trying to get, like trying to convince people, right. Just convince sure. people of why creativity is important. I still have, I wouldn't say I do so much convincing. I do educating. Um, but there's, a, a, there's, a, there's companies and CEOs who are like, N- it's not for us. It's not for us. Right? Yeah. And I realized like, it's okay. It's okay um, because there are plenty of other people out there who get get it and who understand the value of creativity that will bring me in. Um, and then you'll be calling me one day in the future anyway. Right, right. <laughs> was was there a point when you first started where you're you're truly wondering whether this am I on to something because the, the the feedback I'm getting isn't what I was really hoping for? I think for me it was more like I always. Once I was able to do a program or a workshop, the feedback was always encouraging. Okay. Right. The feedback, once people experienced the programming, um, it was always encouraging. So that's what really kept me going. It's just like, this is working. People are, people are being impacted by it. Um, like going to networking events and, and pitching though, well, that was not encouraging at all. <laughs> right. w- w- was there any point where, where you were really kind of questioning the, the entire thing? Um, no, that's good. I think I, yeah, I, and I, I say no, because it's always felt so right for me, okay. right? It's like this idea that everything has led to this for me. Like there, there are moments in my life and many careers, many jobs I've had where I'm like, what am I doing here? <laughs> and now that I'm here and doing what I love, I'm like, oh, that's why I got my MBA. Sure. That's why I did business consulting. That's why I was in sales. It's all led me to be able to do what I do today in a way that makes sense, right? If I was, the, I would even say like as an art, if I was just, a, not just, I should not say that. If I was an artist um, who had no business background, who was trying to do this, I don't think I would be, re, be received as well as someone who's worked in the corporate environment, has my MBA, and by the way, also happens to be, happens to work in creativity. Yeah. Yeah, that is a jump, right? But I love the idea of mixing these two worlds. And I'm always impressed by people that, they bet on themselves. They believe in what they do, they're doing, and they bet on themselves. And and I've I've had any more from professional athletes that make that jump where they leave their their nine to five job to become a professional athlete, or or somebody like you that that comes from the the, the corporate world, <clears throat> just and you start a business now, but you've got this passion around creativity, and you're going to take that and you're going to incorporate that. And you know the value of it, but um, that's scary. No. There's, a lot, there's a lot of people that 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 aren't willing to make that that leap. Yes. I, I think it is a certain personality type who, who, or either like I do have a personality type where I am okay with ambiguity and uncertainty, mm-hmm. maybe it's from, you know, like fleeing my country, maybe. <laughs> like, like right. who knows? Right. Um, there was a lot of uncertainty growing up, but, um, but I do think also, I, I do think there's a personality type or you have to train yourself to be that personality type. And, and for me, it was this, I, I read a lot when I first started my, my business and um, 
I'm I'm not going to remember the name of this book, but it was it was, it was a coaching a coaching book. And I remember something in there that said, um, "Just start and keep going." Yeah, and that continuously it, it circles in my head. Just start and keep going, and that's how businesses. I mean, not all businesses. That's how you become successful. You just don't stop, right? And that's yeah. like I always talk tell people like I'm I'm relentless. Like I'm just going to keep going. Yeah. That, that that I'm not going to take no for answer. No matter how bad I'm set back, we're going to continue to kind of grind to move forward. Uh, yeah. Think, now, if I did these workshops and people gave me negative feedback. Well, different. that's a different story, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's a different story. Absolutely. I will tell you one time when you talk about like how people react, um, uh, about three years ago, I started working with the honor foundation. Mm-hmm. The it's a military special force, um, nonprofit where they work with special force operators as they transition from military to civilian careers. And I was approached by the VP of program at the time, Joe Lara, um, to come in and look at their programming. It was a three month program. And and he asked me, where do you think this could like Lego series play particularly and your creative work could fit into this program. So I gave him a few spots and we, we decided to do transition night. So on transition night, I drove myself down to San Diego with my six boxes of Legos Spread them all out on the tables and then in walk these 40 special force operators, right? In their suits. <laughs> and I was like, oh no, <laughs> not, I don't know if this is going to go well. But once again, you know, it went phenomenally well. I've been working with them every cohort since, and it's been a beautiful experience. And it's experiences like that with the most unlikely recipients of my work who, who really value it and find find it, it find it helpful and resourceful for them that just keeps me going like i just like i just i just i now six years into this know that this works yeah right i know it works and i know there's a lot of impact in the work i do so the the start the keep going part gets easier and easier sure yeah we, we've seen a blending i think you know you had these ideas of what the military and first responder community is in these mindsets and, and some of it still sticks right but uh I think through this, well, through necessity, through 21 years of war, we've learned like, Hey, maybe, maybe there's gotta be other ways of dealing with things and maybe being creative, thinking outside the box. And, and that goes, that goes into, uh, you know, what coping skills might've worked 15, 20 years ago, uh, aren't serving us anymore. Right. You can only have choir practice and drink with the, 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 the guys and the girls for, for so long. And then you're like, well, um, that's not working anymore. <laughs> like bad yeah. things are coming. So yeah, right. I, especially in the, in the special operations community, they seem to be the kind of the tip of the spear when it comes to being open-minded and trying different things that those communities don't, don't traditionally do. So, uh, mm-hmm. so what's, uh, what's next? I mean, now is work smart. Are you guys ac- across the country? I mean, is, are you guys more of a California base? What's that look like? So I, because of COVID, I've actually been able to expand my business basically worldwide. Like last year I had an opportunity to work in um, virtually in the Middle East, in Europe, in Singapore, um, India, and in Vietnam too. That was a a very special experience to be able to, to work for an organization, woman run in Vietnam and be told, do whatever you want. We're trying to disrupt this culture. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, it's been, it's been phenomenal. And I, I, I don't think, and I, I think you, you know this too, but based on your work is that we're never going to go back, back to normal, right? Whatever we called normal sure. three years ago. Sure. Um, this whole idea of, of um, hybrid workspaces or just virtual workspaces are, are, are here to stay. And, um, and, and my work now, I can do it virtually or I can do it in person, mm. which is, which is a transition I had to make during, during this time. Cause again, like yeah, I used to, drag boxes of supplies right, wherever I went. Right. And now I ship these little creativity kits to everyone. So I'm, yeah, I imagine that's an opportunity for you. Like for what you're doing, this is, this is 100% opportunity to. Yes. Yeah. That's yes, it's been a great opportunity as well, just to, um, to meet people around the world in terms of clients and then also meet people around the world who, who I can bring in as facilitators, collaborators. But if, if somebody was interested in, you know, maybe hiring work smart advantage. How do they go about reaching out to you? What is it? What is the way they would contact you? So I, I, I always joke that my second home was on LinkedIn. <laughs> so you, you always find me on LinkedIn uh, under my name or under work smart advantage. 
They can, so you can go there. My website is worksmartadvantage.com. And um, my email address is von at V-A-N at worksmartadvantage.com. I still do all my business development. I think it's really important for me to be at the, you know, front for that. And um, because when I talk about business development and, and growing my business and work with clients, it really is this idea of co-creating co and collaborating on what we're going to do for them, right? It's not, it's not like, oh yeah, pick this out of the box and we're going to do that exact workshop for you. Um, I want to know what their needs are, what their team is like, what their culture is like. So we can design something that really makes sense and will really make an impact for their team. And, and yes, it's more work, but I really feel also it feeds my creative side. Yeah. I need to always do things differently. Yeah, that makes sense. Like each one of these things is a new opportunity to be creative on, on how it's how it's gonna how you're gonna pull it off, right? How you're gonna incorporate the creativity to them. So, right. Yvonne, thank you so much for for taking the time to do this. And again, I apologize for our first go around. I'm glad we. Oh, that's okay. You made a new friend out of it. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. Um, but but I appreciate you taking the time to do this. It means a lot. And uh, I'm sure that's I'll see you. I'll be seeing you on LinkedIn in quite a bit. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I was really happy to get the invitation and I will be seeing you, um, I'm sure, again on LinkedIn and um, on some of these programming, this, these programs you're doing with Chris. Sure. Yep. You sure will. Once a month. Uh, and anyone listening to this, uh, if you if you missed the last one, once a month, we are going to be doing a, a workshop on habits and that's going to be an hour long. It's probably going to be on Sunday. So, uh, but we, we'll be pushing that on out on uh, any of the social links and, and on our website as well. So um, with that, Vaughn, thank you so much. And thank you. Everybody, that's a wrap. Like always, thanks again for checking us out. This show is brought to you by the team here at Consequence of Habit and is an arm of our 501c3 nonprofit. The show is produced and edited by the one and only Anthony Palmer and is part of the Palm Tree Pod Company network of podcasts. That's it. I'll catch you guys next week.